So it's a, a real uh, pleasure to introduce uh, Margarita Loines and uh, Pat Saint-Ange, who will be our um, first uh, presenters for the day. Uh, I've known Margarita for many years and uh, uh, really have such respect for her contributions to our community and uh, her practice. I'll say a bit about her and then I'll introduce, uh, say some about Pat. Uh, she's been a, Margarita's been a practitioner since 1977, both in Tibetan and Theravadan traditions. Um, she's a graduate of the first community Dharma leader program, which we shared together. Um, and uh, she contributed to the initial stages of our very uh, vibrant and um, um, committed diversity program. And she taught at the first people of color retreat here. Uh, she's also trained in MBSR um, and is a student of the diamond approach, Hamid's approach, and originally from the Dominican Republic. Uh, Pat Saint-Ange is the founder of Seven Generations Consulting and brings over 20 years of experience leading and working with nonprofits and public sec sector agencies, uh, providing training, consulting, and technical assistance in the areas of community organizing, social justice advocacy, organizational development, cross-cultural effectiveness, consensus building, spiritual and personal coaching, uh, she's a, a trainer and a coach for over 15 years and works with organizations to deepen their cultural competency skills. Um, she um, holds a, a BA from, uh, in Human Services from Southern New Hampshire University and a Master of Divinity from Pacific School of Religion. Um, she is uh, of Mohawk, Six Nations Mohawk, and uh, Quebecois descent. Um, and uh, she and her partner have six daughters and seven grandchildren. Um, so she's also uh, contributed an essay, uh, Deep, Cultural, Deep Culture as a Lens, to Joanna Macy's um, updated um, um, edition of Coming Back to Life, which is on the table in the the back of the hall uh, for sale. So uh, it's a real pleasure and uh, uh, joy to introduce uh, Margarita and Pat. So please come on up. Welcome them. Nyawan, James. Sego aguego. Patricia Tano Ikokpeshni Ichuwi Yunyats. Hello, everybody. My name is Patricia. In our Mohawk tradition, all important events begin with the Ohondun Kariwadego. And so we shall begin the celebration of this day of reconnection with the words before all else. I'm just learning Mohawk, so I have my paper. And the Mohawk version is kindergarten version, and the English translation is about third grade. <laughs> so it will be a short Mohawk and a little bit longer in English. Gengyogwa. Genigari Wesa Tano Jonse Tonsite Wanon Weradone Sunkwayati Son Negadi Ne Ohondun Kariwadego. Let us stop and sit together and listen for a wee bit as we share these words of love, greeting, and thanksgiving for all creation. Our Mother Earth takes care of us. And so our response is one of gratitude. And so we behave in ways that show our love for her by being grateful. Aguego onska onsi de onsi de wa wenoni ne unguanigora 
ne un guanigura tano tiete nu verado ne un guesua. Let us gather all of our minds and bundle them up as one mind as we send love, greetings, and gratitude to all of the people gathered here. Let us send love out to people everywhere that peace may always prevail as we mingle here together on Mother Earth. And now our minds are one. Let us now send love, greetings, and gratitude out to our Mother, the Earth, because she gives us all we need to flourish. Let us turn our thoughts to the waters of the world that keep us clean and quench our thirst and make life possible. Let us greet and thank the fish life who the Creator gave the job of keeping the waters clean. With gratitude and thanks, we greet them. And now we greet with gratitude the grasses and plants that create a beautiful green cover for Mother Earth and thank the roots who hold them steady. And we send our greetings out to the medicine plants that heal us when we are sick. And now our minds are one. Let us send love, greetings, and gratitude to all the foods that sustain us, especially the three sisters, corn, beans, and squash, and also to the fruits and berries, especially to the leader of the berries, the strawberry, the big medicine after a long winter. <coughs> and now we send our love, greeting, and thanks to all the insects. Some are crawling on the ground or cleaning our soil, and others are flying through the air, pollinating the flowers so that food can grow to nourish us. To all the animals everywhere who help us when we are hungry or cold, we send you love and gratitude for always reminding us of how we are meant to live. And let us now thank all the trees everywhere for creating the air and giving us shade and wood especially the leader of the trees, the maple, who brings sweetness into our lives and heals our hearts. And now our minds are one. We now greet the birds and thank all the winged ones for always sharing with us their songs and music to lift up our hearts when we are sad and reminding us how blessed we are to be alive. And now we greet our grandfathers, the thunderers, and the beautiful lightning, and the four winds that blow across our world with love and gratitude, for they clean the air and bring us beautiful rain, without which there can be no life. Gratitude and love to you all. And now our minds are one. Tonsite wanon weradone, sunquayati son, gyokanega caragua. Let us now send love and greetings to our older brother, the sun, the light of the daytime sky, thanking him for lighting the earth so that we can see and keeping us warm as we travel on Mother Earth. Tetinu weradone, yeti so a. Asontenega Caragua. 
and now we shall greet our grandmother the moon, the light of the nighttime sky, who regulates the cycles of the women and watches over the children, including those yet unborn, the seven generations still to come. We also send gratitude to the beautiful stars who, will fill, uh, who fill our skies with sparkling jewels for our grandmother to wear. And now our minds are one. And now we gather our minds together to greet with gratitude all of the enlightened beings, the sacred teachers and leaders who come to earth during times of discord when people lose their way to help us return to a good path and remember our original instructions. And now we send our greetings, love, and gratitude to the Creator who has given us the gift of life and all the gifts of creation. And now we have opened up our time together with the Thanksgiving address. If in these words spoken I have forgotten anything, it is not my intention. So I ask each of us silently to add anything that I may have forgotten so that our collective gratitude can go out fully in a good way to all parts of creation. And now, together, let us gather up all of our greetings and gratitude and love into one big bundle and release it up into the sky, thankful for this beautiful gathering today. And now our minds are one. And that's all the words for now. I want to make sure, is this on? Can you hear okay? Well, first, I, I, I want to add my gratitude that you're here. <laughs> I can't tell you, <laughs> you know, how, how glad I am that you know, we have someone from the original cultures present here. And uh, I wanted to acknowledge the, uh, the human ancestors of this land, the Miwok people, who were here for thousands of years uh, before the Europeans came. And uh, I wanted to say just a, one other little piece of information about Pat that uh, she and her husband, Wilson, have um, a retreat center and a farm in Oakland that's, um, that's really, uh, it, its mission is to live out the ancient traditions, both Native American and African. And uh, all sorts of different people have come through there. And there are all sorts of rituals that are being done. And so many different kinds of animals live there. And so it's, uh, you know, uh, an expression of their commitment over a lifetime of um, uh, social justice and also cultural awareness. So um, as I was thinking again uh, of coming together this year, um, it's always useful for me to remember because we are in such crisis in the greater world to feel into that in us that is beyond the conditioning that got us here. And so um, when the Buddha um, attained enlightenment, at that moment, what he chose to do was to extend his right arm and touch the earth. And, um, you know, we primarily think about it as, a, as him asking the earth to acknowledge his achievement in a way. But to me, that mudra is so profound. And every molecule of this physical body comes from elements from the earth. Through a whole lifetime, we are sustained by that which we take in from the earth, whether it's the air we're breathing or the food that we eat, everything is coming from the earth. When our bodies are done, we cycle back into the surface of the earth. We are the earth itself. And that was so powerful. Many years ago, I saw a conference, just a, 
in Rio de Janeiro where this um, indigenous man from the Amazon, people were talking our relationship with the earth and so on with this object-subject dualistic mind. And he took his staff and he just hit the stage. He said, we are the earth. And so, you know, part of our predicament is our own perception that we are living with a legacy of disconnection. And I wanted to say a little bit, because we exist, even though we have true nature that is unbounded and is unassailable and is utterly free. Most of us don't know that nor live from that place. And so there's this big layer of conditioning that becomes our personality, our ego structure, that covers up this profound nature that we are that knows the oneness, that knows the continuity of existence, but we don't live or know or live from that place. And I wanted to say a little bit about just how the conditioning happened over time because we live within narratives that dictate how we see, what we think is okay to experience, what we don't, and so on. And in indigenous, many indigenous cultures, their narrative allows for a certain continuity and oneness and preservation of some of the qualities of true nature, actually. From the Dzogchen tradition, in the most profound teachings, the way of abiding, once awakened mind is known, has four uh, ways in which it manifests. The first is ineffability. It's beyond the world of concepts. That knowing is beyond our usual uh, discursive mind. So it's really ineffable. The second one is openness. When the mind, the awakened mind, is utterly open. The third is spontaneous presence. There's a spontaneous way in which this awakening is manifesting. And the last is oneness. Once we are in that state, which is in all of us, there's the recognition of the oneness of everything that exists. So um, Dogen, you know, many people mention this, but Dogen, who's you know, one of the pillars of Zen, uh, started Zoto Zen, he, he uh, expressed the awakened state, enlightenment is intimacy with all things. 6,000 years ago, when we were living primarily as hunter-gatherers, uh, the, and, and the uh, bush people in Africa uh, retained some of that, people would walk the landscape knowing exactly what was where, and they were listening to the language of the birds, and the birds were up in the trees, you know, commenting on the landscape. And, you know, people are actually learning that again. But they would be telling, you know, there's a lion over there, there's a gazelle over here. And the bush people could walk through the landscape with this sort of panoramic sense of the whole. And so they were very much in their bodies, and they were very much connected to everything. So as time went on, and agriculture came, and we began owning land, owning animals. Then our whole relationship with the whole began to change. And we went from a, a land, earth-based uh, culture that was very feminine-based um, to then, uh, at the time of the Greeks and Homer, there was a lot of talk around the diaphragm and sort of the, uh, the identification went from being more body and belly-based to being over here. By the time Plato came along, it was really in the head, and the head was considered the seat of divinity, and then little by little, the body became suspect, and kind of, and so as the body became kind of suspect, then all of nature, and it sort of culminated in, in Europe uh, at the beginning of the, what's co uh, considered modern science, with uh, Francis Bacon making a statement that the scientists, and he's using the language of uh, the witch trials in the Middle Ages, that the scientists should relate to nature, is sort of torture her, her, the secrets out of her. And so we began this sort of tradition of, um, of domination and, ex and, uh, and um, exploitation. And so there have been waves of colonization over you know, the ages, but in more modern times, um, in the last 500 years, we're living, our narrative that we live by is dominated by the fact that uh, Europe had colonized most of the Western Hemisphere. 
And then with that was this huge wave of slavery from Africa. And so we are, we are still embedded in that narrative. And so that narrative causes a tremendous amount of fragmentation, uh, ongoing uh, oppression that is happening below the level of awareness. And it just keeps us stuck in this way of relating that is very exploitive, not only of each other, other human beings, but other beings, the earth itself. So it's, it's uh, at this time and in the predicament that we're in, it's so important that we understand how we are limited by the narrative that we're living by. And that we begin to see if we can feel underneath the condition aspect of our uh, personality structure. And um, um, so luckily, you know, this amazing nature, this love that brought us here today is in, in all of us. It's not something that we have to import from the outside. That deep ethics, that deep knowing is available through the depths of what we are. And so um, what I was hoping today is that I'm, I'm sort of introducing the Buddhist perspective all the way through Dzogchen and then with the indigenous uh, tradition that we can begin to have a little bit of a dialogue. And we'll have uh, just, I'm going to have you just do a very short particular meditation once Pat and I can kind of go back and forth fleshing this out a little bit to see, you know, some way that we can begin to extract ourselves from this meshwork that we're surrounded of, of concepts that really um, limit our perception and our, our sense of possibility. And I just want to mention one thing. There was a, uh, a group of uh, people, part of the Diamond Heart group, that I, uh, we started a small, we called it the dialogue, uh, the Earth Dialogue. And we would go and sit under trees and something and just like listen and see what would come, what, what could we perceive. And there's a young man uh, there who had been so depressed for years because he felt like he had to come up with the right thing to do. Like, what am I going to do about what's going on? And uh, in that process of listening, something happened to him where all of a sudden, one day, he became aware of all the mycelia of the mushroom. He could feel them. And it's almost like he, he began to be in communication with the mycelia. And I don't know if some of you know, but the mushrooms can actually detoxify all kinds of things. They may be very crucial in, in the efforts of healing and, and, and cleaning up the environment. But this man all of a sudden realized that in his incredible receptivity, and it was almost out of hopelessness that he became so receptive, then he could be informed by the natural world. And so part of our predicament is that we are so, uh, uh, so we're trying so hard and we are imposing ourselves on the external world. It's so crucial that we are able to relax back and become receptive so that we can be taught. And I can say for myself that after also being very depressed about what was going on for a couple of years, out of desperation, I worked, walked out in my backyard and I said to Mother Earth, you know, I've been disconnected and I continue to go off and on. Disconnected, but I want you to teach me. Teach me. I am listening. I will make a commitment to you to listen. Teach me what I need to know. And I went through several months of amazing things happening. Being woken up in dream, out of sleep with teachings. Animals walking on my roof a coyote jumping the fence. I mean, all kinds of things happen over a period of a few months. And once that happened, I knew that this dialogue was utterly uh, vital. And I, I, it gave me a strength that I would have not, I, I cannot have, even with all my meditating and all of that, even in my Dzogchen that is so space-based, this was uh, a support, you know, as you were talking that came out of the earth and out of the animals that was profound. And I, um, I invite you to experiment with some of that. So I want to stop here and just see, you know, whether, um, whether something's coming up for you that you might want to add or just how, 
yeah, what you might want to bring in now. Uh, what struck me as you were talking is that this um, colonization was happening all over the world, that the movement of African extraction of slavery was, of people who became enslaved was one of the byproducts of colonization, and, which comes out of the sense that we are we have dominion over mm -hmm. the earth, which is... I think related to some creation stories that tell us that we have dominion over the earth. And so I've been thinking a lot about creation stories and the um, Six Nations or Haudenosaunee creation story is about Sky Woman who comes from the sky and at that time the earth is all water. And so the birds see her falling and they kept, they hold her. And the turtle says, oh, put her on my back. And so she, they land her on the turtle's back. And then one by one, the animals go to the bottom of the ocean to try to bring dirt. And some of them die in the process. And eventually, they, they bring up er, wa, uh, dirt, and she begins to dance. And in that dance, the dirt spreads and it becomes this continent, which is why we call it Turtle Island. Mm. And so, you know, I grew up colonized. I grew up Roman Catholic. And so the creation story that I grew up with was, you know, multiply, have dominion. And when I learned the story, the Haudenosaunee story, I was struck by the difference in my life it would have made to have grown up as a child knowing that that's our origin. That it was, because later when she died, tobacco came from her heart and corn from her eyes. And so her whole body became all of the foods that we eat and the sacred tobacco. And so I'm really interested in the idea of exploring the power of creation stories or uh, origin narratives and, and looking at how we can dig for the stories that, un that are underneath in the same way that, you know, before uh, agriculture there were stories mm -hmm. that were creation stories. And so I was really struck by the, the idea of a colonized and colonizer mind. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I was thinking back to some of what I had read about the, the Bush people and the, uh, uh, the seamlessness of mm -hmm. their world and, and a creature that we would think was so insignificant like Mantis, the praying Mantis, was one of their major teachers. Mm -hmm. And um, the uh, the sense of uh, constant relationship that they were embedded in, and the and the depth of respect, and you were I, mean, I remember our initial conversation where you were talking about, uh, you know, I was thinking about receptivity and respect and reverence, and you said, and reciprocity, <laughs> that that was so important, and uh, and I, I then I thought, I, I I didn't bring it today, but there's this. Um, a book of Dogen's that I bring out that kind of talks about that reciprocity from the, the Buddhist perspective. And I'm, if you know it well, I'm going to make mistakes in repeating, but I want to share it again. And he says, there is a way in which the incomparable awareness of all things returns to the person in zazen, in meditation, and where that person and the myriad things intimately and imperceptibly assist each other. Mm -hmm. Fences and walls, grasses and trees demonstrate and exalt it for the sake of living beings, both ordinary and sage. And, and living beings, both ordinary and sage, uh, I, I'm trying to live it out and unfold it for the sake of grasses and trees, fences and walls. But the, these, these uh, mutual influences don't come into the mind of the person sitting because they're happening within stillness, without any fabrication and their enlightenment itself. 
And, and what I find interesting there is that, you know, in Western culture, we, don't, we have this division between the animate and the inanimate. And that in that view, which is really, and we don't talk about it very much, even in, in the Theravadan tradition, that everything, the rocks, the everything, is participating in this process of waking up to its own nature. And so it really honors, mm-hmm. it's very similar to the indigenous view where, you know, I, I remember one time walking with my friend, with Donna, and I found this um, uh, uh, a feather, an owl feather, and I immediately, you know, pick it up. And Donna, <laughs> she's uh, from the uh, Ojibwe, uh, uh, she's a descendant from the Ojibwe uh, tribe, and, and immediately she pulls her hair out and she offers her hair. And it was like, you don't take something without offering something back. Mm-hmm. And, you know, you've talked about that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I think one of the things one of the notions, one of the ideas behind reciprocity, mm-hmm. kind of a Western approach or interpretation is give and take. And the indigenous view is yeah. give and be given. Uh, yeah. And so it really it is more of a peer relationship that I am given something and therefore my impulse is to give something back. Mm-hmm. So. When the owl, so I would say the owl feather presented itself to you, mm-hmm. and then Donna gave something back. Yeah, I mean that shift is so profound, and it is really. I, I can feel as you speak it, I can feel the shift from the ego to something deeper. Mm-hmm. You know, and just in what you're saying, being given, again that kind of feeling of receiving life mm-hmm. as opposed to you know, coming out and imposing myself, yeah. And I think it has to do with understanding that we are the land, we are, we're in the ecosystem. We're not caretakers of earth. Mm. We are the earth. And so the earth actually is our caregiver. (laughs) She she provides Mm. for us. And so when we engage, it's with the idea that we're giving thanks, that we're expressing gratitude. So when we save water, because we know that she's very thirsty, we're not doing it out of a sense of obligation or this is a rule, I have to take a two-minute shower or all of those things. It comes from a place of recognizing that our mother is really struggling with deep, profound thirst. And so when we use less, we connect with her in a way that gives more for the larger process of her renewal. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah, I'm really struck with that shift, you know, and, and as you're talking, what I, what I sense is, uh, which I view sometimes in meditation, teaching meditation as a, is to keep the awareness, uh, using the eyes like they're windows, mm-hmm. and not going outside the window. So receiving, and, and that helps with that kind of receptivity you're talking about, mm-hmm. to just allow life to come in as opposed to pursuing life out there. We're yeah. already in it. <laughs> so pursuing it, denies our situation really it's you know we're in the we're in relationship we're in the earth we're in the ecosystem where we find ourselves and so all of our efforts to go out and find something which is really different in my mind to some of the what people talk about as internal work that becomes what I observe to be Mm navel-gazing. You know, it's like, I don't need to go out there because it's in here, is different than I'm already out there (laughs) and I'm in it. And so how I engage is to recognize that relationship. Great. Thank you. Thank you. So I'm wondering, um, I was thinking of maybe pursuing the movement uh, 
just sure. for just for a few minutes and then uh, mm -hmm. doing the triad. So what I'm going to invite you to do, and um, just for like five minutes, is um, it, we are uh, conditioned not only in our minds but also in our bodies. The way we move is very much dictated, you know, what we're allowed, how we're allowed to move. So I'm going to just give you five minutes to explore movement in a non-structured way. You can do this sitting in your seat, or you could stand on the side, or if some of you would like to lay down. It's not a lot of time, but just I'm going to guide you through this exploration. And when you find whatever spot you're going to do it, just have a little bit of room, even if you're sitting in your chair, so that you can, you know, if your arm wants to lift, you have some room to lift. Um, just like we are, uh, you know, our minds are conditioned, we are told, uh, you know, we have a way of, of moving in particular ways that are what's allowed. So what I'd like you to do is whenever, find your spot, and keep your gaze down so you're not looking at each other so you feel less self-conscious. <laughs> And listen for movement that wants to arise from the body. It may be an unusual move. Uh, it may feel strange. But just see if you can allow something really genuine to arise. And if the mind begins to judge it, just stop. And then wait for the, move, the movement to arise again from the body. If at first you try to do this and nothing moves, it's like you're frozen, you can't do anything, or maybe you're preferring stillness, then, you know, stay with that until some movement arises. And I'm just going to give you, you know, just five minutes of exploring like this. And it's an opportunity to see how the mind gets involved in dictating or judging or evaluating. And so this time, we're not going to follow that one. We're actually going to follow something that may surprise us, that's arising from the depths of your body. Some funny movement, who knows? Just open yourself to be surprised. So we're going to come back and uh, into triads. So three people, if you can just sit together. And um, you'll have a couple of minutes, each person, just to share what, what's come up for you so far from our conversation and the exploration with the movement. Um, I'll be ringing the bell every two minutes so that <laughs> we make sure everyone has the same time. If you can settle. Come back to center. So we, we have about 
um, 10 minutes before we have a little closing to do. So we thought we would open it up for a conversation. So if anyone has any questions, um, we're happy to, yes, right here. A while back I heard a beautiful talk and um, the question of sustainability arose, which is a fundamental term in uh, this conversation that we're having. And the person on the stage said, uh, sustainability, he said, what if someone said that you were in a marriage and your relationship was sustainable? What would you think about the relationship? <laughs> and uh, there was a lot of laughter in the room. <laughs> and one of the things that, are, I think this was actually at Bioneers, I think one of the questions that arose was, uh, and this has to do with the framework uh, by which we're, the framework which we're using uh, to think about how we are relating to the earth that uh, if we go for the stars, we might not get there, but we'll get pretty far. If we go for the lower stratosphere, we get even less far. And the question is, what do we really want uh, the relationship to be like with us and the Earth? And I would say, like, thriving is what we need to shoot for, not just shooting for sustainability, because if we miss the target on sustainability, then we're in trouble. And so it's an offering, um, let's go for a thriving earth and a robust and a beautiful and a yummy and a, and a fecund and, and beautiful alive earth, not just something that's sustainable. Mm. Thank you. I would say that a lot of Native folks' perspective, and you know there are over 500 nations, so when we talk about a Native view, it's not universally held, and it's certainly not something you can hang your head on as the native view. But there are lots of Indian people who believe that the earth will be fine. That it's not about us saving the earth. It's about us figuring out how to stay here. <laughs> because she's going to be just fine. And so if we can't figure out how to be in right relationship with her, we're the ones who are going to disappear. The earth has all the time in the world. That's right. The earth has all the time in the world. That's right. Yes. And, you know, it's, for many of us, it's our belief that we are really pushing the edge of her patience and that, you know, these big storms, you know, not South Carolina today is in record kinds of flooding, and those are, um, those are, at least from my point of view, the, it's, they're our mother saying very powerfully, behave, <laughs> you know, do something different, this is not working the way it is, and so as we listen to those things and engage, I think it helps for us to see ourselves as part of, we're, we're not the caretakers. We're not the, our responsibility is to live authentically in right relationship. Other questions or thoughts? I tried to take what you said of being really spontaneous and be surprised to heart. And I just kind of followed my, my draw, which has been really common for me lately in my movement practices of being with my feet. And then I looked out the window. And I had actually kind of been in my thoughts a little bit about bird language and what you said. Mm -hmm. And I saw a turkey. And so I started to want to move like a turkey. And I was like... <laughs> <laughs> and... To me, there's something in that practice of being with the other beings mm -hmm. and however we play with that. Mm -hmm. um, there's many levels of that kind of identification with all things. But I think it can be a fun little movement practice. Mm -hmm. Just, you know, rather than other ways of trying to identify with it, we can just embody it. Mm -hmm. yeah. yeah, I find it interesting that when you were in touch with your feet, then this arose. And so, you know, perception, we, we normally are like perceiving from this little part of the body. And if we, the entire body is uh, 
It's an organ of perception. And so, you know, the lower down we are in the body, the more connected to the whole it is. So, um, you know, I couldn't help but when you said you started to feel like the turkey, I want to move like the turkey, you know, we could laugh. But actually, um, because of the Dzogchen teachings that I've had, uh, Longchenpa in the 1200, he was called the omniscient one. And so, you know, when the mind really opens, you know, the turkeys over there, all of a sudden, you can feel right through the turkey what the turkey experience is like. And, and that is an expression of the realization of oneness, mm. deep spiritual realization. And yet, you know, all of these um, expressions of the same field of awareness that we are part of, each expression has a unique contribution. And yet, you know, if, if we relax into that whole, it's like you can feel the different expressions of awareness itself and being formed and taught by that. So, but interesting that it started with your feeling your feet. Mm. Yeah. Yep. And if you go to a powwow and watch the dancers, uh, yeah. the grass dancers are mimicking the grass. And the sneak up is about rustling turkeys and other birds from the fields. <laughs> and the fancy shawl dance is about the wind. And so, you know, you can dance the turkey. <laughs> yeah. Any other question, thought? That was cool. <laughs> um, I was water. I was water. And so I was embodying water in a very deep way, and it was beautiful. One thing I n noticed, though, and, and we were talking about connection and disconnection to, to Mother Earth and our connection to each other, is that in that moment when I was water, I, I heard his feet and wanted to sort of move towards that and then I heard to my right and I wanted to flow in water to connect with all around me and so it's important for us to remember that being connected and staying connected to each other is what I feel like needs to happen more than anything I feel such a disconnection that's happening so much mm -hmm. and and that's what you know I think that Mother Earth is really watching, mm -hmm. you know, we're listening to her, but she's listening and watching us. And so doing this practice, but doing it sort of in our own space was, was wonderful, but to do it together would be something I would love to do. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And maybe we can do it. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, the trick, um, you know, we're so externally referenced most of the time that um, tuning in deeply within yourself, uh, paradoxically, if the connection within is strong enough, then you feel the connection to the whole. But sometimes if you sidestep the inner connection and are too tuned in to everybody else around you, you might miss the depth of connection that happens when we fully embody um, you know, so it, it's, it's paradoxical, but truly, you know, and then through that embodied uh, experience, then you feel the connection's already there once it's really established through our own um, embodied, uh, embodiment. Yeah. See, anybody else? This is one person of it. So it's a small observation, but uh, since the drought has been happening for the past four years, I've uh, increasingly saved the kitchen water, you know, and I wash my, uh, my fruits and my vegetables and wash them in a bowl instead of under running water, and then toss the water back on the garden outside. And 
ironically or paradoxically, to my great surprise, my garden is healthier now than it was when it rained normally because it's getting all this good nitrogen-rich water, you know, from the kitchen. And mm-hmm. I'm just watching mm-hmm. how the recycling back to the garden has really improved the, it's a tiny little plot of land, but improved the health of, of, of the plants in the backyard despite the fact that we've been in a very severe drought. Mm-hmm. Yep. Well, and I think it's a, it's the alternative to agribusiness, right? So the bigger we take things, the less intimate, you know, Margarita was talking about that intimacy that we need with all of creation and all of each other. And that's what you've created for your garden. Your plants are excited to have your touch. It's a reciprocal relationship. And... Plants respond to that with joy. Um, <clears throat> I just wanted to thank you for presencing the, the indigenous principles by which um, indigenous peoples have lived in harmony forever and continue to, and that we so much need to. Um, I'm reminded of, of, it's as if they're they're the cooperative cells of the, the Gaia body and, and Western civilization tends to be a cancer in, in many ways. And I don't want to generalize too much, but, but that's, it feels like that's what we're, you know, those of us who are awake to that are, are the immune system coming to life within, mm-hmm. within Gaia to, to, you know, attempt to reintegrate all of us. And so thank you for that. Mm. Yeah, we're, yeah, I think we're coming to a close. So in, uh, in finishing, I'm just going to read this passage that I've, been, I've had around for a long time, and I wish I could know who the native elder is that uh, um, expressed this, but it goes, Stand still. The trees ahead and the bushes beside you are not lost. Wh- wherever you are is called here, and you must treat it as a powerful stranger must ask permission to know it and be known. The forest breathes, listen. It answers, I have made this place around you. If you leave it, you may come back again, saying, here. No two trees are the same to raven. No two branches are the same to wren. If what a tree or a bush does is lost on you, you are surely lost. Stand still. The forest knows where you are. You must let it find you. Thank you for listening. To learn how you can support the teachers and Dharma Seed, please visit dharmaseed.org slash donate.